Father, thank you truly that you have created for us the body of Christ. You have placed us in it by your Spirit. And Father, that we can come and be a part of a family. And we would ask especially for Sean and for Deborah, Lord, that their testimony and influence, not only in this church, but Lord, in our community, would be that which would be pleasing in your sight. We also pray today, Father, for our teens who are away in Columbus, and we would ask, Father, that as they listen to the Word of God and interact, Father, have projects of ministry, that, Lord, all that you have planned for them, they would be sensitive and respond, Lord, in obedience to all that you have for them. Father, as we interact with your word this morning, we acknowledge that it is the infallible truth that you have left for us, the faith once deposited to us. We carefully want to handle it. We carefully want to guard it and obey it. And so, Father, we at this moment, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you change us where we need to be changed. May we not barter with you. May we just be open slaves of you. You are our master. You are our Lord. And we submit our lives to you by the empowerment of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Never give your tithe to God. You probably thought nobody would ever preach a message like this. Never, never give your tithe to God. Now that goes against everything that I have learned as a young boy, which was many, many years ago, and perhaps it goes against everything that you have been taught. As a person growing up in this community and other communities, the subject of tithing is one that brings great harm to the body of Christ. Now that may sound just clearly off the screen. This morning our task is to look at the Word of God. It is to look at it carefully and to see the teaching of God regarding tithing, regarding giving. Non-Christians, at times, one of their greatest concerns have said to me, and I'm sure to others as we are witnessing to them, well, one of the things that I really would struggle with being a Christian would be in the giving of a tithe. I, I just don't see how it would be possible for me to do that. And so they have a tendency to back off, an excuse probably, but a good one, a good one. I would have to admit, yes, that, that's heavy. Now, I was taught that what you say to a person who responds that way is that, well, you just trust God and let him prove himself to you. That's okay. But let God prove himself to us over biblical issues, not over issues that have been distorted from Scripture. I remember as a young Christian at the age of 27, only a few weeks old in the Lord, attending a small church in which I heard the word tithe. Now, I had heard that before, but I didn't pay much attention to anything. And certainly if it came to giving money, I didn't give it a lot of attention at all. So as, as a new believer, I heard this word that I was somewhat familiar with, and I say, how would you do this? I was already head over heels in debt. There was no way possible. I was worrying about how to clothe my kids, 
how to have enough gas to get to the work. And then you're going to ask me and tell me if I really love the Lord, if I'm really a Christian, then I would be so excited about giving the 10%. I really was excited about obeying God. I really was. And I thought, how am I going to be able to do this? I already give at that time probably 20-25% to the government, and now I'm going to have to come up with another 10% at least, because, you know, we always took the offering, the tithe and the offering, so I assume that meant more money, the tithe and then the offering. Now, some people would say, ah, don't pay any attention to that. That's just semantics. Don't pay any attention to that. You know, that's a goal, and maybe you'll reach it, and maybe you won't. I thought, wow, if this is a command of God, maybe you'll reach it, maybe you won't. And I began to wrestle with this, and I began to have an extreme guilt. It was a mark that I didn't start out with, and I realized, really, unless we didn't eat one meal a day, there was no way, unless I borrowed money every week. There was just no way. And I walked around and I, I could constantly hear Christians talking and I would hear messages, I would read books everywhere about the tithe. People would say, you need to get on a budget. I'd look at a budget and there it was again, a tithe. You know? And then I would hear the debate, you give a tithe off the top or after everything's been extracted and then you give the tithe of what's left. And there was always this big argument, this big conversation going on with Christians began to realize, wow, I cannot do this. So for months, actually for a few years, I walked around. Now I got to the place where I could just not think about it. Isn't that neat? Just not think about sin. You know, it didn't resolve my guilt (laughs) trip that I had, but here I was really, as I look at Scripture, I was guilty about something that God didn't want me to have guilt over because... It wasn't true. God did not want my tithe. And I thought, why in this world would my pastor and everybody I talked to... And then I realized one day in talking, I was reading some material, this was later on, Barna Research, that only 2% of Christians tithe. I thought, is this this a mountain of hypocrisy or what? Here I am, I have been a young Christian, you've been telling me to do this, and only 2% do it? What is really this all about? I began to search the scriptures, began to do, Lord, if this is really what you want me to do, I I will take the sacrifice to do it. But Lord, I am just thoroughly confused. Many of you know who have been here most of the 40 years that I've been here, have realized that this has been a subject that's deeply on my heart. Not because of just some believe this and some believe that, but it's the integrity of the Word of God. And when we impose rules and regulations that are not from God's Word and do not stand in God's Word and impose them on young believers who, who are looking for us to truth and to extract these kinds of legalism because that's really what it is, is unconscionable. To put people in a mode of guilt 
when it's not really the guilt of disobedience. I suspect that this is disturbing to probably some who have grown up in Christianity believing they should tithe and yet at the same time as myself experiencing guilt. I began to rationalize and began to give excuses of why I would probably never reach that goal. Let's be good students this morning. Because we find this immediately in the text of Malachi. This is something that God had much to say about. And I'd always had heard this passage and saying, Don, you are robbing God. You are robbing God if you do not give the tenth to the church. I'm thinking, okay, I will do this. I don't see the church there. I don't see the church in Malachi. And people would say, you just need to learn to obey. You're young in the Lord, and you'll finally get enough maturity. You'll see our point of view. Thankfully, I never did, even though I have respect for those people. And these are the subjects that are handed down from generation to generation, and we have a tendency today perhaps to say, well, it doesn't make a big difference, just as long as you get. It does make a big difference. It's the Word of God. If I'm going to tamper with the text here, then where do I stop tampering with the text? And so out of being pleasing to the Lord, we we come face to face with the reality, Lord, I know you want me to give, but what's the measuring rod? Well, remember culturally in Malachi's day, these people had a huge problem with God. They had worked hard on restoring the temple. They had worked hard on building the walls back. They had great expectations of how, having been obedient, coming out of captivity, giving their lives and bringing their family and sacrificing, having done all of this and knowing when they had it done, they believed the prophets were saying to them, when it's finished, Christ will come. The Messiah will come. He will come to the temple and we will rule and reign over the nations of the world. And it wasn't happening. There was no Messiah. And they had gone through this process enough that they were disturbed. And they had come to the place that they saw God from a standpoint, He's disappointing us. I feel disappointed. God has not obeyed what He wants us to obey. We did our work, and now God's holding off. They became, as we studied last week out of Malachi, they became cynical. It was pathetic what they were saying about God. And they were saying, God, what's your problem with us? We have done right, but you have not honored your word. Well, God takes that to task, as you well know. In fact, it was so bad that they were withholding their tithes and their offerings as Israelites which then had a domino effect because then the Levites were not getting their part, their portion, because they were to be paid by the tithe so that they could minister and not have to pull off of ministry to work the land for their own food. What we find here is that the Levites had to leave the ministry and go to work. This is the way sin always is, isn't it? It compounds itself. It becomes extremely 
ugly. And so this rebellion against God brought the curses down because God said in Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, if you disobey me, in this covenant I have, if you disobey me, I will rain down curses on you and you will not have enough and you will be scattered to the four corners of the world. And so here were the curses that they were living in. Well, here's what we want to accomplish this morning. Here's, here's the thought that I would want you to retain. Here's the big point. When you and I, when you and I rob God, we rob ourselves. Isn't it amazing that if I am robbing God, I rob myself because I hoard my money thinking that that is more important than obedience to God and his blessings. It's odd, isn't it, how we think at times. So when you rob God, remember, you rob yourself. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, why were the people of Malachi's days cynical toward God, experiencing a lack of blessings from their hard work? Here it is. Malachi, who is a prophet, and God's sharing through him to the people of that day, and God extracts a gracious command. Here it is. Gracious command. Gracious, do this. Repent. Well, these are cynical people. They are really what we would call today spiritually dense. They don't get it. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside. The Hebrew word is you have consciously come to a point in which you deliberately consciously turned away from my statutes, my prescriptions. You know how it goes. The doctor tells you, take this. And don't stop because you start feeling better. Take the whole what? Prescription. Don't stop until you've taken every pill. About halfway through, you say, man, I feel fine. I consciously, deliberately turn away from his advice of the prescription and go on my own. Three weeks later, Doc, (laughs) it's just not working for me. I know what he's going to say. Did you take all of it? (sighs) Why do you have to ask that? No. Well, then that's the reason why you got the problem. But I was feeling better. That's not the issue. (laughs) You don't trust me. (laughs) You've probably heard that yourself from your doctor. Now, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. You have not guarded them carefully. Now, here's the remedy. In any aspect in which we have deliberately and consciously knowing what to do is right, and we turn away from it, what's the result? Get a ministry. I'll resolve it by getting busy. I'll get a ministry and maybe God will have favor on me. I'll try to do better. I'll be nice to my spouse. I will, uh, I'll buy a gift. I will do those things that I really like to do all the time ignoring disobedience. What did God say to these people? He said to them, return to me. And this is a command. 
return to, and you'll see in most of your translations the capital M there, obviously referring to God, return to me, and I, what I will do, when you return to me, I will return to you. You see, God says, here's the process. When you deliberately acknowledge the wrong and you turn and say, okay, God, I now am going to obey, God says, I'll be looking at you face to face. But God says you've got to initiate. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. But no, you won't do that. You see, the text says, but you say. You Israelites say, how, should we re- how shall we return? It's kind of a cynical expression. It doesn't come over the English very well. It's kind of like, what would we be returning for? <laughs> We're right. God, you're wrong. We did all the work. We're just waiting for the blessing, and you're holding off for us. We're right. You're wrong. Why would we return? There's nothing to return. We haven't left. You're the one that's left. How should we return? What should we return for? God says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Question mark. Well, in the Ten Commandments, you're not supposed to rob anybody. So he takes it to the next level. Would a man, is a man supposed to rob anybody? No. Would anybody conceive of robbing God? Now, these ties, at this point, we'll discuss it here in just a moment. These ties can't be a gift. You don't rob gifts. Right? You rob things, you take things that are not yours. And he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Not you have robbed. You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and what? And they say, well, wait a minute now. You see, what's happening here is I'm so disgusted with God, I'm going to get even with him. So I'm just going to withhold my money. It happens down to the present time in every church, I suppose, in ours too. Hope it doesn't. I don't like this and I don't like that, so I'll just withhold it. And when the church aligns itself with what I like and what I want, I'll give it all back. Never happens. (laughs) Because we don't store it up. We what? We spend it, right? At least that's been what I've understood. Okay. So you've done it in your tithes and your offerings. And the consequences of that is it's brought, that's the reason why part of the curses have come on you. Now the Levites who are supposed to be here ministering to you, they have had to go back and now they have to provide for their own food and their own welfare. And so they have left the ministry. Does that ever happen? Oh, wow. Just look around southern West Virginia. Carl and I and others have a ministry to by vocational pastors. We hear the stories sometimes. These guys work all day in various occupations and some of them don't get paid at all. It's amazing. 
Now, obviously, the question is, okay, I get it. They're upset with God. God is telling them the prescription, repent. What is a biblical tithe? Well, a tithe, first of all, was not unique to Israel. Egyptians did it. Mesopotamians did it. That was just the culture of that era. That, that's what you did. You gave a tithe, a 10%, to your God, whoever it was. Now, you find in the early book, the early chapters of Genesis, Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, a priest, a king priest. Remember there precisely, it wasn't the Melchizedek says, give me your tithe from this war position that you've just inherited and won, this pile of positions from your enemies. Melchizedek didn't say, you've got to give me 10%. It was Abraham who said, I give you. It was, a, it was a gift. It wasn't something that was being extracted. And so Abraham paid his tithe. Jacob said, Lord, I am so serious about loving you and obeying you that I vow to you I will tithe everything I have. That was his choice. You see, that's two instances of being voluntary. I volunteer to do this. Now, under the Mosaic law, there's a 180. Because Moses comes down from the mountain and says, I'm not asking for volunteers. You will tithe. This is how we're going to provide for the Levites and the priests. You will do this. This is the law. Now, think with me a moment. What's happening here? Moses comes down. In Exodus 19 and 20, you have what we experienced as a country back in 1776. You have a constitution being ratified. It is the birth of a nation. How are we going to live and conduct ourselves? What's our civil law and principles going to be? What is our spiritual laws going to be? It is a nation that is being born. And how are you going to provide for the Levites? Because they're kind of like our congressmen in that sense. It's a theocracy. Write that down someplace. It's a theocracy. You say, what do you mean by that? God rules. In Israel, who were they answerable to? Almighty God. Moses was simply a mediator. So it's God ruling, and he he expects the people to say, we will obey. And that's what they said. They often didn't do it, but that's what they said at the beginning. So what you have is a theocracy. And how are we going to pay for these men to minister to us, take care of all of our sacrifices and do all this thing around the tabernacle and then later on the temple? Well, we're going to extract a tenth from your vegetables and tenth from your animals and you will give it to them and that will provide so they can stay on the job. You with me? So what is a tithe? It's a tax. It's a taxation. Always has been. It's never changed. Never, ever in Scripture will you ever find anything other than the tithe be a taxation. It's prescribed by God to the Israelites. They're a nation. You and I obviously don't belong to that nation. So all the vegetation, all the animals were to be tithed. They were to be given to the Levites for their service. 
It was to be given primarily at Jerusalem when it was settled in and the temple became there. There were actually three. Get this down. There were three. The first tithe went to the Levites. That's 10%. What's a tithe mean? 10%. I never heard this, even in my early church. I never heard this. And the first time I heard somebody say, and the second, second tithe? Man, I'm still working with how to pay the first one. And now you've got a second one? That went to the priest also, but it was for the feast days, the seven feast days. Who's going to provide for the parks and for the festivities? Well, we're going to extract another tithe. Well, that's 20%. Right. Then there's a third tithe. You say, you've got to be kidding me. Read the scriptures. A third tithe was called the poor tax. And that's what it was called, a poor tax. It was taxation to provide for the poor and the orphans. And that seems to have been taxed every third year. So add it up. Ten and ten and a third, you got how much? Twenty-three and a third percent. Now, if we're going to receive the tithe today in our churches, and only 2% of Christians tithe 10%, wonder how many is going to tithe 23 and a third percent? It's doubtful, isn't it? But be that as it may. The church, you don't give a tithe to God nor to a church. It's given to the government. It's a tax. And the confusion sometimes is we don't separate. Israel was a nation just like America, except a theocracy is God sits at the top, and in a democracy, the president, basically in that sense, sits at the top. But they're both nations. They're both governed by principles and by laws. And that's what it is. Tithing in Israel was a taxation to run the government. It wasn't voluntary. It was mandatory. If you don't, I'll curse you. (laughs) That's his point in Malachi. Now look at verse 8 again. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Not only in tithes, but the offerings. Well, Mike, what's an offering? You've got to be kidding me. An offering was a poll tax, a temple tax. It wasn't 10%, but it was, preci- it was precisely prescribed, you will do this or I will bring curses on you. Now you're above 23 and a third percent. The offerings could have been anywhere from other sacrificial offerings to the poll tax. This is the reason why we read this morning when the disciple says, what do we do with this paying of taxes to Caesar? What did God say? Pay it. And pay it cheerfully. We'll see that in just a moment. Now look at verse 9 of Malachi 3. The consequences of not paying your required taxes and offerings from the heart, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Of the tithe and the contribution. The whole nation of you. Now watch this. Who gave you all of this to even tithe? 
Who is it? Who gave you the rain? Who gave you the land? Who gave you the health? Who gave you everything? Well, God, you did. And you won't return a part of it? Wow. That's a problem, isn't it? You are no wonder you're struggling with your spiritual density because disobedience brings blindness. It, we become so blind that we think it's okay. That's the curse for most of us. I have my reason. I have my excuse. Someday we're going to get around to it. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's interesting what Haggai says, who is another prophet. A little bit earlier timing, time than this. But look at Haggai 1.6. See, this was not just a difficulty in Malachi's day. You have sown much, Haggai said. But you'll notice you harvest very little. You eat, there's not enough to be satisfied. These are desperate times. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. The prophet wasn't saying, get drunk. He was saying, you don't even have enough for anybody to get drunk. He wasn't putting his approval to it. He was trying to state, you don't even have enough to get drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with what? You ever done that? You know where I head when that happens? To my wife. Would you please sew this hole up? I'm sure many of you men have experienced that. You've heard people say, like I have, I just don't know where it all goes. It just seems like I can't get ahead. I just wish I could get a handle on my finances. What's the problem? Is it God or is it I? In verses 10 through 12, he says, if you would repent, remember the command? If you would turn and repent, if you would confess, you would admit your sin and turn, I would turn back to you and I tell you what? I would shower you with blessings and influence. Now get this key. What was the calling of the nation of Israel? What were they called to do? They were to make God known where? And God says, you can't fulfill your purpose in life while you're disobedient to me. And if you will turn and be obedient... I will bless you with all that you need. I will be the sufficient one. And I will give you influence that the nations will listen. That's a marvelous statement there. Now in verses 10 through 12, quickly. Here's another command. Bring the whole tithe. Bring all of your required taxes into the storehouse. How many times have I heard Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Well, where is it at? Well, it's the church. And the only problem with that is it's not in Scripture. 
unless I do some spiritual isogesis, which means instead of drawing out of the text, I'm going to the text. Well, obviously, Don, if there was a storehouse under Israel, the temple with its many rooms to store all this stuff, there is, the church has replaced that. Ah, I get it. So now the church has replaced Israel. So what's that do with Israel and God's promise? Oh, don't, don't worry about that. You see, this thing goes south really quick. There's no consistency to it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there may be food in my house. You Jews, these, is, these are your taxes. You bring them to the storehouse. We'll distribute it. But there's no storehouse in the church age. And then he says, test me. I command you, put me to the test. Now, we are not to test God, but God has the prerogative to say, put me to the test and see if this is not genuine. See if this is not what will happen. Test me now in this. The wording there is, learn the genuineness of my promise by obeying me. I want want you to test me. I want you to experience the genuineness of my promise to you, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, there will be sufficiency. It's a take because it was an agricultural culture. Then the blessings of rain and sunshine. Verse 11, then I will rebuke. What I will do is protect you then. I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will do this for you. Why? So that it will, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the fields cast its grapes off early because of dryness, says the Lord of hosts. Curse will be lifted. Verse 12. All the nations will call you Israel what? You know, when will the world call us blessed? Obviously, there's never going to be a time when the secular world will call us blessed because of truth. But they will stop calling us hypocrites because they will see our obedience to God. All the nations will call you blessed. You'll you'll be able to accomplish your purpose for being a nation. For you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So what's the point? Well, the point, again, just as a reminder, is when you rob God, you rob yourself. You say, I'm confused. Let me see if I can clarify. Everything we've talked about in Malachi was for the nation of Israel, and the tithe meant nothing but taxation. In America, we give our taxes where? What if we reversed it? Let's send the government what we give as a love offering today, and we'll take the taxes. Uh, it'd probably work good for us. But it would only increase the debt, our national debt, wouldn't it? Okay, that's true. So today, the church, God says, look, please pay your taxes to the U.S. Treasury. 
That's what it means to be an obedient Christian. And then you have, and I have, the responsibility to support those who minister on our behalf, to take care of the electric, to care the heating, the cooling, and some of you don't believe we ever turn the heating on, but I understand. Okay. But uh, to provide all of that for our missionaries to accomplish the work of God. So somebody asks you, do you tithe? No. I give my tithe to the government. Because a tithe is a taxation. It's all it's ever. You can never find one ounce of evidence when the tithe was anything other than a tax. And God does not tax us. He asks us to give out of a heart of love. It shows the sincerity. You see, the issue really comes down to the point, not only it's obedience to God, but what we're doing, we're extracting away from people having a heart to give. I don't want God to tell me, you, Don, have to give this. I thank God that he says, how sincere are you in your appreciation with me? Show me. And I get to decide. You get to decide. I don't want that taken away from our young believers. I don't want to distort this truth. Neither do you. Now, just quickly, I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians 9 because we won't put this all together. 2 Corinthians 9, which you can say, okay, I understand what they did in the Old Testament. What do you do in the New Testament? I understand they had a free will offering in the Old Testament in which they could express their love for God and give any amount they wanted to. That is true. It was called free will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, listen to what Paul says about giving as a Christian. This will radically, if you don't understand this from the past, this will radically change your concept about money. Now this I say, verse 6, He who sows, Don, if you sow sparingly, I guarantee you, I am God, you will reap. What? Sparingly. But Don, if you sow bound, how much, Lord? Don, you decide. But God, just can you just give me a little, give me a benchmark? No. I want to know how much you love me. I want you to be satisfied with me. I want you to listen. Verse 7, each one, each, individually, must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? I probably should leave this one alone. (laughs) I don't know how this matches up with some of our techniques in Christendom about giving. We have a matching gift. We've got somebody who will give us $10 million if all the rest of you guys and gals will together collectively give $10 million. This guy or gal will give $10 million and we'll have $20 million. How in this world does that fit that principle? And we just have people go berserk over that kind of giving in Christianity. I bet I get three of those every, every month. We've got a matching gift. So what are you asking me for? Well, if you will give to us, it'll help us to get more. Well, now, this, is this about, what is this about? 
I'm just completely. And the other one is faith promise. Faith has a promise. Now you think about that for a moment. Some of you will remember years ago, and I'll leave the name out of it, we had a big crusade here two years in a row at the armory. It was good. Guy was an evangelist, it was good. At that time, I was probably four years old in the Lord. I was pastoring here. I'm not proud of being four years old and being the pastor, but that's just how things worked out. And I heard night after night, you need by faith to give more than you can afford. Wow. So if I really have faith and I give beyond my means, then God will provide. Let's see if that one works. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written. Now he says, you base this upon what you have, not what you don't have. Notice in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God for the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. Part of that is your giving. And for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the sufficiency of the grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which is Christ, which makes it possible for us to give from a heart of love. So how do I give a faith promise when I decide to give more than I have. Does that sound like tempting God? I can't afford this, but I'm going to give it. Now, God, you've got, you got to come up with it. Guys, that's just horrible exegesis of Scripture. That's just horrible interpretation. It really is. And I know none of you fall for that one, but there are Christians that fall for that one. You'd say, I, you know, but let me remind you, God did do it. God always blesses. God enables people who will give. It doesn't mean the method God accepts because it's contrary to Scripture. He says in chapter 8, you don't base it, you base your giving on what you have, not what you don't have. He makes that extremely clear. So how do we give, Lord? I got paid Friday. No, we changed that, didn't we? We got paid sometime last week. I'm all confused on our paydays around here now. So I open it up and I'd say, yep, Dave got it right. He even signed his name to it. The next thing I disciplined myself to say, Lord, this is not my money. It is yours. 
not 90%, not 20%, everything. You've given me the health, the strength, the resources of people to provide for the staff here. Lord, I understand I'm on an expense account. I don't mean the church expense account, God's expense account. And Don here is the 100% of what I've given to you and trusted to you. And I'm going to hold you accountable how you expend that. So when you go into Staples, you be real careful. I'm dead serious. I know it's, but I'm dead serious. God says, that's not your money. That's mine. And I want it to honor me. And you don't need a fifth computer. And you don't need something newer because what you have works. That's hard for me, folks. That's very hard for me because I'm a human being. I have my wants, and I want it now. Now, we're talking about something that is drastically going to affect your daily living for Christ. I guarantee it. You can just put yourself as a, as a CEO of a company, and you have a sales force on expense account, and they come back to you after a week and say, I took my wife out to dinner on the company's expense. Oh, yeah, sure, you wouldn't mind. Or I did this and I did that. None of us would do that for fear of being fired, but we do it to God all the time. God, I'll use it as I please. It's my money. It isn't. That's God's point. Everything that we have belongs to God, whether saved or unsaved. That's the reason why God says, you question me if I can't bring down the wrath on mankind? Well, look at these good more. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, I want to take you through a process. It's going to take me about three or four minutes to do this. I'm going to do it quick. I put it all in your notes so you can go back over it and digest it. But I just, I just want to quickly want you to see how this fits. Why we say we don't bring the tithe to God, we don't bring it to the church, we send it to the U.S. Treasury because that's God's command. Pay your taxes, right? Okay. What did God say? Here's the way we interpret Scripture. What did God say? What Malachi's audience, what was their understanding? Number one is we manifest our sin by robbing God. They knew that. They heard that. We must repent to stop the curses. They got that. We are to test God's genuineness to give us abundance, influence. We hear you. We can be restored and fulfill our purpose to make him known. Tragically, Malachi's audience rejected it. And then there was 400 silent years and when God said, there's no use in me talking to you. And the next time we hear of God is John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And what did they do? They rejected Christ. They just never got it. What do we extract? What's timeless? What are the principles here for all people in all places? Here they are. Sin is conceived and evidenced by disobedience to God. Sin can be defined by my disobedience. It's the evidence of my sin. Sin never results in obedience. Sin always results in what? Disobedience. Ask your children. 
Sin must be confessed and forsaken. There must be repentance first. No repentance, no forgiveness. Number three, confession restores intimacy with Christ. We don't lose our salvation, but we sure can lose our intimacy. Number four, spiritual vitality is to know Christ and make him what? To make him known. Pay my taxes, some of us quarterly, others of you, April, pay it. Now, how, how do I say, okay, I understand what Malachi said to his people. I understand how they interpreted it. We, I see the timeless principles here. No matter where you live in the world, these principles could be lived out. How am I going to live them out? Well, here's four. I must remind myself that I don't live in a theocracy. I live in a democracy. It's supposed to be a republic, but anyway. We pay our taxes to our government. And God says, just like with Caesar, pay it. If you don't, you're in sin. If you manipulate it, if you change it, if you fudge, if you say to people, I will pay you to do this, but I don't want to check, I want cash because I don't want to report it, that is sin. That is ungodliness. That is robbery. That is theft. That's part of the problems of our country. Because we can violate God's command and expect to be prosperous, and we can't. Number two, we must be diligent to repent lest we forfeit our intimacy with Christ. If I think I can live daily, prosperously, without intimacy with Christ, then I have already experienced the curse from God because I don't think I need it. That is blindness. Number three, obedience to God provides influence in making Christ known. God will light up our life before the world. And number four, his teachings are that we give systematically, regularly, proportionately, and cheerfully. Make it a point this April 15th or whenever you send your money into the U.S. Treasury. Just pause for a moment and say, God, I thank you that you have provided for me a means of supporting our nation, even though imperfect, even though disobedient to you in much of our ways. But, Lord, thank you that I have roads to drive on, some measure of protection, and I thank you for enabling me to support our country. Because he says our giving should be cheerful. It's systematic, proportional, and cheerful. And we do that with our church family. Let me encourage you. Maybe you're sitting here today, I don't know if there's anybody, but maybe you're sitting here today and say, I just, I don't give because I don't agree. Well, then do the biblical thing. Come and talk about your disagreement. That would be obedience to God. What you're doing is an offense to God. You don't manipulate people by withholding your finances. Folks, this is incredible today. How do we get the pastor out? We withhold our money. We hold our money, you leave. Then we can all dump it back in. I've never seen a dump yet. And 
Do we as churches have the audacity to say our problem in America are the unsaved people? I think not. I think we have the problem. We have lost our light. I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. Folks, until we get it right with God, we are hopeless. We are just absolutely down the tubes. To pray without repentance is foolishness. You know all those things. So, that's the scriptural perspective. Let's be obedient to our Lord. No, I will never give my tithe to Daniel's Bible Church because it's taxation, and in our culture, we give it to the U.S. Treasury. If we live in Germany, we'll give it to Germany, wherever we live. But I will give my portion to God's work. Let's pray. Father, as you said to the people in their day, Malachi's day, this had brought a curse to the nation. Not only in sparseness of food and shelter, but more importantly, they had lost their influence in a world of righteousness. And today, Father, we are saddened that we manipulate our congregations, even in some cases when men know better, but they would say, if I don't preach the tithe, we won't have anything. Lord, forgive us. Father, may we give sacrificially as you ask, not of our abundance, but may we give sacrificially like David. I will not take this land for the temple until it costs me something. Father, may we rejoice and rejoice gladly that we can give back to you which you have so richly given to us, for we would have nothing without you. Now, Father, we would ask your Spirit, as he has interacted with us through these last 50 minutes, we have looked at truth. We understand the truth. We are committed to obey the truth. Hold us to that, Father. Do not let us have one blessing. Let us experience the consequences of disobedience if we do not repent. Because we love you, we want to honor you, we do not want to disgrace you. We will always have sufficiency of all things when our hearts are to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.